Welcome to the Words Matter Library. Welcome to the Words Matter Library. I'm Adam Levine. This week, we're going to put into the Words Matter Library, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi's Life, Times, and Rise to Power by Mark Sandalow. And joining me is the host of 10,000 Knows Podcast, an accomplished actor, voiceover artist, writer, director, Matt Del Negro. And one would maybe ask why uh, I would have subject Matt to the minutia of Washington politics. But Matt, in addition to many of his other credits, was on The West Wing. How many seasons were you on The West Wing? Uh, the last two seasons. Last two seasons. And who did you play in The West Wing? I played Bram Howard, who was the advance man to Jimmy Smith's character, Matt Santos, who was uh, running for president and eventually won the presidency. Uh, just as the whole series was coming to a close. You also spent some time, a uh, bunch of episodes on The Sopranos, I remember. I did, yeah. And you've been on Scandal? I was on Scandal for a few seasons, yeah. And so I think that somebody who, in this day and age, where the current occupant of the Oval Office was formerly the host of The Celebrity Apprentice, Matt, you were more than credentialed to listen to a discussion on, and participate in a discussion about the Speaker of the House. We will keep it not political. This is in no way Matt endorsing Nancy Pelosi, her politics, her policies, or anything. Um, I just thought it would be interesting to talk to Matt about this as a character study and a little bit of the drama that will ensue. To put into perspective how important the House is in the history of the Republic, 19 of the 44 people, 44 men, who have become president of the United States served in the House of Representatives at some point in their career. And just to, to go through some of the notable names, James Madison, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, John Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, and George H.W. Bush. It's an impressive list. I also add the name Henry Clay, because if you've studied American history, you will know that both as a Speaker of the House, and as a United States Senator, Henry Clay was a imposing figure in the first half of the 19th century. So this week, Nancy Pelosi retakes the gavel. And Madam Speaker by Mark Sandalow is a book that uh, – Sandalow is a journalist. He covered Nancy Pelosi for 20-plus years, and this was not an authorized biography. I loved listening to this book on Audible, and if I were Nancy Pelosi, I would understand – why she probably wouldn't like some things I've never seen. I actually tried to do a search and find out how Nancy Pelosi felt about this book, and I couldn't find her saying a word. Um, I'm sure if she were asked, she would tell you she hadn't read it or listened to it. I don't know. And one of the things that I wanted to do today was to give facts from the book, because I think Sandler does lay it out very journalistically. Um, whether you like Nancy Pelosi, whether you like her policies, whether you dislike them, whether you like her style, whether you think her tactics are right, whether you think she's the old face of the Democratic Party, the new face of the Democratic Party, there's a couple things that come out when you listen to this title that I think are really important. The first thing is Nancy Pelosi was born Nancy D'Alessandro in Baltimore, Maryland. Her father, Thomas D'Alessandro Sr., was a very famous politician. He was a United States congressman. And when Nancy Pelosi was growing up in Baltimore, her father kept the congressional records that he would read at home under her bed. She was the youngest of seven children and uh, the only girl. He kept them under her bed, and young Nancy, little Nancy, as she was known then, would read the congressional records. So Nancy Pelosi grew up like that. And one of the, one of the clips that I thought was really interesting was it, when the story of Nancy Pelosi is told, people 
automatically point to her very famous father, Thomas D'Alessandro Sr., as I mentioned, who was a congressman. And one of the things I learned in the book was that Nancy Pelosi's mother was an equally skilled, if not superior, politician to Nancy's father. Let's take a listen. Pelosi's mother was also known for her long and, at times, unforgiving memory. She never forgot who was on her husband's side and who had been against him. Her husband would tell the story of introducing his wife to President Lyndon B. Johnson in the heat of the 1964 campaign. The president had known D'Alessandro from his days in Congress and referred to him, and most other Italians, as Tony. D'Alessandro took less offense than his wife. Upon her husband's introducing her to Johnson, she gave him a sharp look and told him, My husband's name is Thomas John D'Alessandro. It is not Tony, drawing a stunned look from the rebuked president. Tommy D'Alessandro had won 23 consecutive elections when he announced a bid for a seat in the U.S. Senate in 1958. If you go to Pimlico and find a horse that ran and won 23 times, D'Alessandro liked to tell audiences, referring to the Baltimore area's famed track, that's the one you're going to drop your deuce on. But the string came to an end. The party bosses had convinced D'Alessandro that he'd be anchored by a strong Democratic ticket, but they were unwilling to help him outside of ethnic Baltimore. D'Alessandro won in his own city by more than 31,000 votes, but it wasn't enough. Young Tommy recalls that his mother had seen it coming. My father came back from making that deal, and when he came home, my mother said, You're beat. She said, They boxed you in. You made a bad deal. You should have talked to me before you made a deal. You're the only one running against an incumbent. They got all open fields. This guy is going to lay and wait for you. They're not going to be burdened by you, he recounted. Everything she said came to fruition. The following year, D'Alessandro ran for a fourth term, but voters wanted someone new. He lost the primary by 33,000 votes. It was his last election. At a different part in the book, the author describes Nancy Pelosi's mother, um, her toughness, in when uh, little Nancy told her father that she was going to go to Trinity College, which was an all-girls Catholic school in Washington, D.C., which was about 35 miles south of where her parents lived in Baltimore. Her father's initial response was, over my dead body, to which Nancy Pelosi's mother said, that can be arranged. So Nancy did wind up going to Trinity College. She was there in January of 1961 when John F. Kennedy became president. And I want to listen to a clip from the book that describes Nancy going in the snow to listen to Kennedy's inaugural address as a college student. As a student, Pelosi was swept up by the idealism and promise of President Kennedy, a fellow Catholic, who inspired an entire generation of leaders. Pelosi trudged through newly fallen snow to the east side of the Capitol on January 20, 1961, to hear Kennedy speak the immortal words, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Hundreds of times in the course of her own political career, Pelosi would remind audiences of the less well-known lines that followed. My fellow citizens of the world, Ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Trinity was an all-women's school, 
and Pelosi, by all accounts, was intense and studious. Her yearbook photo shows her with short hair coiffed below her ears, wearing a strapless gown. She volunteered for the Kennedy for President campaign in 1960 and was a member of the college's Democratic Club. For many students, Washington's highly charged political atmosphere is an eye-opening experience. For Pelosi, it was a respite from the electoral intensity of Little Italy. For me, it was a break from politics. My family was steeped in politics, and so it was a nice break, Pelosi said of her college years. Nancy, in every single thing, from a child helping her father run for mayor in his campaigns, to her work uh, as a young Senate staffer right after college, to her work as a mother, Nancy Pelosi, one thing that always comes through is her competence. Um, she was extraordinarily good at every single thing. Even a reporter writing this book who was looking to be critical could not find anything to tell you that Nancy Pelosi was not really, really good at what she did. And let's take a listen. In the mid-1970s, when her youngest was out of diapers, Pelosi became president of the Presidio Terrace Association and was named to the San Francisco Library Commission by her neighbor, Mayor Alioto. The first mention of Pelosi in the San Francisco Chronicle is in the June 6, 1975 edition, when the paper announced that Nancy Pelosi, neighborhood leader and sister-in-law of Supervisor Ronald Pelosi, was appointed yesterday to San Francisco's Library Commission. Alioto originally appointed Mrs. Seymour Farber, but she quietly withdrew because she couldn't meet the residency requirements. Pelosi's youngest daughter was off to kindergarten, and Pelosi felt she had time on her hands. She was hosting more and more fundraising parties, bringing contributors into her large home on behalf of local candidates, which made her very popular among the elected officials. McCarthy was making a push for the assembly speakership, and Pelosi was there to help. When the children were small, I didn't do much. I walked the precinct, had parties for candidates, was a resource. When they were in school, then I could take real responsibility for things, Pelosi said. There was no decision to go into politics, she explained. It's what I always did. And what she found out very quickly is that she was really good at it. And there's a great part in the book where very early in her foray into the politics of San Francisco, she encountered a 38-year-old Jerry Brown who was running for president of the United States in 1976. And let's listen to how Nancy Pelosi helped Jerry Brown. At the age of 38, Brown became a candidate for president as a late challenger to Jimmy Carter, the Georgia governor who some thought was unelectable. Brown's hope was to score a big victory in California's June primary and head into the convention with momentum. Maryland's primary was a month before California's, but Brown had paid the contest little attention. The state had few delegates, and it seemed unlikely the young governor of California would have a serious shot at winning. Pelosi thought otherwise. She went to Leo McCarthy and told him Brown needed to compete in her home state. I told him he should talk to Jerry about staying on the ballot, about going there, winning early, which will strengthen his hand as he comes to California, she said. Otherwise, by the time he gets to California, he'll be an afterthought. Pelosi wrote a campaign memo for Brown, outlining how he could win the primary. 
The first thing he should do, it said, was contact Tommy, her brother, and Ted Venatulis, the young man who had taken her to the prom eighteen years before and was now Baltimore's county executive. She asked McCarthy to get the memo to the governor, and he did. Brown was intrigued. Pelosi understood politics, and she knew Maryland. Tommy and Venatulis were skeptical. Venatulis recalls telling Brown, My professional judgment is that it is impossible for a 38-year-old bachelor from California to come into this state and run for president. It's ridiculous. But my gut feeling, what I feel instinctively, is that it might work. Brown flew to Baltimore and stayed at the Delisandro home on Albemarle Street. He had two weeks. Delisandro and Venatulis escorted him everywhere. They knew the neighborhoods. They knew the labor leaders. They knew the media. Pelosi and Brown's girlfriend, Linda Ronstadt, joined them for the home stretch. Brown won the Maryland primary, and suddenly his campaign had a national following. He went on to win the primaries in Nevada and California. Though he was unable to stop Carter from receiving the nomination, it was arguably the high point of his national profile. The secret weapon was Nancy, recalled Bill Press, a Brown staffer who would go on to become chair of the California Democratic Party. And finally in 1986, um, roughly 10 years later, she decided to. She decided to run for Congress. The seat opened up. She ran. She won. And the rest in some ways is history. The book does a great job of detailing her rise from freshman member through the House, through the leadership, and again culminates with her taking the gavel as speaker. One of the defining things about Nancy Pelosi, when you look at her four-year speakership from 2007 to 2011, Nancy Pelosi can say something that no other Speaker of the House can say, not Sam Rayburn, not Newt Gingrich, not Tip O'Neill, not even Henry Clay. She never, ever, ever lost a vote as Speaker of the House. There was no vote that she put up that did not win. And to put that in perspective, Tip O'Neill, who wrote, famously wrote the book Man of the House, who is identified with that institution, who held it longer consecutively, 10 years, than any other speaker in history, once got into a parliamentary battle with a young Newt Gingrich and so overextended himself that not only did he lose a vote, he was actually censured by his own house because he had overstepped his bounds and broken the rules and he had lost control. Newt Gingrich had angered him so much. But not only did Nancy Pelosi never walk into that kind of trap, she never lost a vote. We are set up for an epic battle between someone who I think when the history books are finally written and one of the interesting things about living in this time is we are watching history unfold right in front of us because the second chapter of Nancy Pelosi's speakership will define probably to a large extent how she's viewed by history. But even to date, I think there's enough to say that she's in the conversation to be called the greatest speaker of the House in the history of this country. But I think that depending on what happens in the next year or so, we will see that. And I don't think that there could be a character that we could invent, Matt, that we could write that would be more diametrically opposed to Donald Trump. The morning that she took the gavel, Speaker Pelosi gave a interview to Savannah Guthrie of the Today Show. And she said that she wasn't sure that Donald Trump knew how to handle a woman in power. Not only do I agree with her, he's got his hands full because that is somebody who knows the institution that she leads, the body that she leads better than anybody else who's ever led it. And I would not be surprised if the next time you see Nancy Pelosi in the Oval Office and 
Donald Trump can, uh, continues to call her Nancy, 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 that she looks at him and she says, um, Mr. President, my name isn't Nancy. It's Madam Speaker, and I don't work for you. And if you don't get your act together about five minutes ago, I'm going to shut you down. And if you doubt that I can do it, try me. You know, this is a drama, Matt, if you were uh, – I think if in some ways if we were writing this and pitching this idea where you work, they might look at us and say it's too writing on the nose. So, Matt, tell us what you've been working on and what, you, uh, what you're looking forward to working on in the next uh, couple months. This past summer, the second season of Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton came out. It's uh, – I don't know if you know it, but he's an attorney who has a bit of a – Drinking problem. Uh, the, the first season was well well received, and the second season it, it goes even darker than the first season. Yet this April, I'm excited about uh, a Netflix comedy series uh, I did this past summer called Huge in France, which uh, is eagerly anticipated. Who's in that? Uh, Gad Almalay is the considered the Seinfeld of France. He, oh, wow. It's uh, based around his comedy and actually jerry does uh, a couple of guest spots with us and a few other well-known uh, it's like a french curb your enthusiasm it it is but it's it takes place mostly here we shot mostly in la and a little bit in paris that's great one of the things is there, there are two political shows that <clears throat> in washington circles have gotten a lot of conversation over the last few years and one of them is obviously house of cards the other one is veep um veep i love one yeah, exactly so you do watch veep yeah, I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen enough of it. I lo- I really love what they and do. And what's funny about that is, is that Veep is probably the more accurate. House of Cards always had these wild story plots. One of the interesting things about where we are at this point in history, and I don't say this lightly, that I can't tell you exactly what the odds are, but they are better than nothing. That at the end of a year or eighteen months, Nancy Pelosi, who took the gavel today could find herself in a position where if the Mueller investigation takes a certain turn and whether or not Vice President Pence is involved in it, you could have President Pelosi. It could be the first time in our history that the um, succession of the presidency moved down to the Speaker of the House. Now, that's something that was featured on House of Cards eight, nine years ago. And people like me in Washington thought, well, that's just ridiculous. That, that can't happen. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys were always lucky on West Wing is because you had Lawrence O'Donnell who made sure that he reminded the viewer every once in a while how important the other branch of Congress sitting down at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, the House and the Senate, that they were important to the presidency. They were always giving Jeb Bartlett a hard time. They were giving every character on that show. And House of Cards didn't have that, but they had these sort of wild fantasies and one of the one of the interesting ones could play out and we'll all look at each other and say, well, maybe that wasn't so crazy after all. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Again, the book is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi's Life, Times, and Rise to Power by Mark Sandalow. Uh, you can download it on Audible. It's a great listen. I spent uh, the early part of this week doing it and you will learn a lot about the woman who is now the most powerful opposition to Donald Trump in the United States government and for all of you in the resistance, our hope going forward. And here is a special offer for our listeners. Go to audible.com slash words matter and start a 30-day free trial. That's audible.com slash words matter or text words matter to 500-500. Audible, because words matter.